A while back, Stanton and Ann Calvert invited Allison and I to dinner in their home. And because I'm a nerd, I went directly to the shelves and shelves of books. And I saw this one beautiful book and asked Ann if I could look at it. The book was titled, Saints, A Year in Faith and Art. On each day of the year, the book told the story of a saint from church history. Missionaries in the 1500s, martyrs in the early centuries of the church, wealthy men and women who gave up their status and nobility just to serve God. I love the stories of saints, Christian men and women who devoted their entire lives to Jesus. But do you know what so many of the stories of saints include? Unbelievable difficulty, pain, and suffering. I have not read about a saint with an easy life. If you've gone to this church for some time, I bet you can think of some local saints from this church. Dan Watson, Alina Sloan, and so many others who over the decades of their lives committed their lives to Christ. Did any of them have easy lives? Were any of those local saints from this church exempt from suffering? I'd be willing to bet that the answer is no. The irony is that many Christians want our souls to be holy and our lives to be easy. If I could ask those in the back to go to the next slide. I don't think we'd say it this way, but isn't it true haven't you gone to the funeral of a beloved Christian and thought to yourself, I hope I'm half the man he was? Haven't you met that Christian woman whose compassion from the, the, for the poor just shined throughout her life and you thought, man, I wish I had her kind of love for her neighbor? Haven't you seen the beautiful marriage of a husband and a wife and, and they've been married for decades and you thought to yourself, I pray my marriage is like theirs? But then you start to think about what it took to become that man, what it took to grow in that compassion for the poor, what sacrifices were made for that marriage, and now you think, well, I'm not so sure. You see, we want the end result of holiness and love and mercy, but we so often want alternatives to get there. I'll come back to that idea on the screen in just one minute. For the past month or so, we've been talking through the Lord's Prayer. I've been preaching through each line, line by line. And this week, we're on the line, lead us not into temptation. Now, of all the lines in the Lord's Prayer, I think this line up on the screen is probably the most misunderstood. People hear this line and they think God could or would tempt us to do something wrong, but then we pray, Lord, please don't do that to me. The issue is that the Bible teaches the exact opposite. God never, ever, ever tempts us. The Apostle James could not be straightforward. We're going to put verses from his letter on the screen. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So whatever Jesus means from that line in the Lord's Prayer, it cannot mean that God would tempt us to do something wrong. So how should we read it? The Greek word translated in the Lord's Prayer is pyrosmos. 
We're all going to try and say this on three, okay? One, two, three, pyrosmos. Y'all all now know Greek. Congratulations. This word means two different things. In some contexts, it does mean temptation to do something evil, but in this context, it means a test or a trial. So I think the best way to understand this line in the Lord's Prayer is, Lord, Heavenly Father, lead us not into a time of testing and trial. Now, I think you might understand why I started the sermon by talking about saints, right? Because we want our souls to be holy. We want to be like these incredible saints at this church or in church history, but we want our lives to be easy. But so often, the saints went through this to become saints. So this morning, my goal is to answer three questions. What is the purpose of God's testing? Is is God just playing games with us, or does God have a greater goal in mind with his tests? Second, why does Jesus give us a prayer to avoid these times? If these tests can be good, then why would we pray to be spared these trials? But finally, and most importantly, is there any good news in this line in the Lord's Prayer? Do we just have to accept this line begrudgingly? Or does it reveal something good about the character of God? So in order to answer the first question, we're going to look at three different times God tests someone in Scripture. And the first test we'll look at is the testing of Job. If you don't know his story, he was a rich man. He had a big family, a massive estate, countless livestock, and a long list of employees. We're told in the very first verses in the book named after Job that he was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. This is a quote. He was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. This is the best of the best. But Satan, our enemy, believed that the only reason why Job would trust God is because he's rich. Because his kids are healthy. He's got a good marriage. But if all those good things were taken away from Job, Satan bets that trust in God is going to evaporate very quickly. So Satan asks God for permission to test Job. And God allows it. And in the very first chapters of, those, of that book, Satan kills all of Job's livestock, which is kind of like emptying our bank account. He kills every servant who works for Job, and just to top it all off, he kills all of his sons and daughters. It is undeniable that Job's trust in God is challenged to the utmost limit. This is not a small inconvenience. This is not a hard day at work. This is a trial. It's a time of testing for Job. The misery and devastation are so hard to fathom, he loses everything. And it's clear from the book that God allows this test to happen to Job. But God doesn't just do this to special people. He doesn't just do this to the best of the best. He even tests his own people, Israel. He makes them wander in the desert for 40 years. And listen to the way that Moses describes this time in the wilderness. Moses says to the Israelites, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. 
40 years in the wilderness is not the equivalent of not finding a parking spot at Target. They aren't annoyed by a flat tire. They're relying on God every single day to provide food and water. Are they tested? Yes. And it is clear from Scripture that God tests His people. Not just righteous individuals. The third story of testing comes from the New Testament. When Jesus Himself is tested. You might be thinking of the 40 days in the wilderness, but He is tested throughout His life. Just read the Gospels. It's test after test, trial after trial. Herod tries to murder Him soon after He's born. The Pharisees stalk Him throughout His ministry and barrage Him with controversial questions. His disciples are testing His patience constantly, and the last week of His life is like one long test. We just heard the passage from the Gospel of Luke that we normally call the triumphal entry. But it's actually a very sad moment. Everybody is around Jesus cheering. They're joyfully praising God in loud voices. They say, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. But what is Jesus doing? He sees the city and weeps over it. I love the way Dia read this passage this morning. Jesus says about this whole city, if you... Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. They welcome him as king on Sunday and throughout the week after test, after test, after test, they continue to reject him. His own apostles abandon him. He is stripped naked. He is falsely incriminated. And finally, he is crucified. These are just three examples in Scripture when God tests His people, and there are a lot more. So the question is, why? Why would God let us go through these excruciating tests? Well, I think Job 23.10 has the most succinct answer. Job says this, in the midst of all the trials he's going through, he says, God knows the way that I take. When He has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Here's the first answer to our first question. God uses times of testing to refine and transform and sanctify us. And y'all, these times of testing are no joke. They aren't daily difficulties or inconveniences. This is like walking through the valley of shadow of death. They put us under intense pressure to see what's really in our hearts and minds. God's tests are the fast track to holiness and transformation. But here's the thing, if that's God's purpose for these times of testing, then you've got to ask, well, why does Jesus give us a prayer to be spared these tests? This is our second question for today. If becoming a saint is so fantastic, then why should we ask God, please spare us these tests? I think Jesus actually gives us the answer to this question in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before he faces his ultimate test, he prays to his Father, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. I want, to, I want you to see these words on the screen. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus isn't a glutton for pain and suffering. He doesn't value death in and of itself. He prays to be spared the cross if it's possible. So if Jesus, our Savior, prays this prayer, 
how much more should we be praying to be spared? None of us should say, well, yeah, God, bring it on. We can take whatever is thrown at us. Just send all those tests and trials our way. No, Jesus gives us this prayer because we are weaker than him. There's one theologian who puts it this way. He, he says, he's rephrasing the Lord's Prayer, and he says, Lord, when you decide to send me these trials, please remember my strength only goes so far. Don't overestimate my capacity. Be close to me with your protecting hand when it becomes too much. This is why we pray, lead us not into a time of testing, because yes, it is true, saints are made during tests and trials. But here's the second truth. Many Christians walk away when we're tested. Some of God's tests are so challenging that we choose to preserve our lives and comfort rather than undergo what God sends our way. In the early church, the Roman Empire would sometimes flare up with this pers the persecution of the Christians. They used Christians as a scapegoat for everything. There was this huge controversy because one time Christians were required to make sacrifices to the gods. And if they didn't, they could be tortured and even killed. And because of the danger, tons of Christians denied Jesus. They sacrificed to the emperor. They gave up their faith in order to avoid the pain. But after the persecutions died down, many of these same Christians came back and wanted to rejoin the church. And it created a crisis because there were these two groups of Christians, one who had bravely endured the persecution, who didn't give up their faith. And there were all these Christians who came back unscathed, perfectly fine. That first group of Christians was so upset that they called the others traitors. This created a controversy that, that, that's continued for centuries. And you can understand why the ones who kept the faith were so upset they were coming back with fewer limbs to church. But these other Christians were just fine. I think this is why Jesus gives us this prayer. He knows that when we go through times of testing, many of us want to walk away. I know that it's possible that if I went through anything like that, I could be the one to fall away. We should never assume we'd be the brave and faithful Christians who would endure. This is why Jesus gives us this prayer. He knows our weakness. But here's the last question for this morning. What's the good news? It sounds like bad news so far. God puts us through these times of testing. He puts us through these trials that refine us and burn away these impurities. What's the good news? I think it comes in two parts. First of all, no test from God is given to his people without a way to be faithful. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. Say those three words with me. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God doesn't treat us like lab rats without a way out of the maze. He doesn't give us deceptive questions to try to get us to fail the exam. He's always providing a path through the valley of the shadow of death. 
It may not be the way we want to go. It will be immensely painful, but God always provides a way through. I was talking to a minister in town who told me whenever his church undergoes these big times of decisions, he always thinks there's just going to be two options, option A and option B. And he told me, he said, every single time God provides special option C. That is good news. God sometimes decides to send us painful trials, and I don't know why. I can't fully explain why, but he never sets us up to fail. He will always provide a way through. The other piece of the good news is that when we are tested, we are not alone. The letter of Hebrews says this, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tested, he is able to help those who are being tested. That same Greek word, pirosmos, you know Greek, that's what used right here. As Christians, we're not alone in the ring fighting Satan by our own strength. We're, we're never by ourselves out in the wilderness. Christ is with us in the valley of the shadow of death because he's been there. And he's come out the other side. He has been tested, he has been tried, and he was found faithful to the very end. So he will be your help. He will be your defender. He will strengthen you in the tests that come your way. And here's what's incredible, that this is possible through the test of God, that, that God can make us saints. That's what Job was talking about through those tests. You can become gold. This isn't a dream. This isn't a fantasy. This is not being overly idealistic or naive. God is in the business of making saints. Despite all the sin in our life, despite all the darkness in our hearts and minds, God can turn the likes of you and me into gold. That is good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are dumbfounded by the fact that you can make us holy. Holiness is actually possible. Despite all the sin in our life, despite all the darkness in our minds, despite all the lies we believe, you are more powerful than sin. You are more powerful than the darkness inside. You are more powerful than any enemy that comes up against us. And so you are able, you are able to make us gold. You are able to refine us and transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. You've spent 2,000 years making saints. And we pray that you would continue to do the same in our midst. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And I, I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer again. Let's, let's pray the prayer he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.